When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to Sustainable Minimalists. This is a weekly show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. And on today's show, we're breaking down eating out, how to find those restaurants that tread lightly on the planet. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to start off with a question today. In the last week, how many times did you buy your food at a restaurant establishment? That's the question. Now, as I talk about sewing, totally unrelated, you count up your number. Maybe you remember a time when sewing was a common, self-sufficient practice. Our grandparents, perhaps even your parents, knew how to not only mend clothes, but create garments from scratch. I vividly remember going to the pattern store with my own mother as a young child. And these days, we've largely abandoned our sewing skills in favor of buying what we need. Fast fashion, hello. How about food preservation? Canning what you grew in the garden for the dormant season? This is by and large another lost self-sufficient skill. And it can be argued, hey, I'm arguing it, that cooking from scratch, keyword scratch, is a lost self-sufficient skill. And I do believe also that we are in the beginning stages of the transition period in which we collectively as a society are losing the self-sufficient skill of cooking anything at home ourselves. Yes, that's a bold statement, but I believe we are in the beginning stages of that transition period. DoorDash, Uber Eats, lives on the go. So that brings me to my question, how many times in the last week did you order a food item from a restaurant? Well, the numbers vary wildly depending on the survey. One found that 56% of Americans dined at a restaurant, got takeout, or had a meal delivered three times a week. 6% of Americans in that same study said they eat out every single day. Another survey on the high end, so that first survey I referenced was on the low end, On the high end, another study found that the average American eats out six times per week. That includes lunch. I say all this to say that restaurants, you know, they're convenient for sure, but they have some major environmental issues. The big one is food waste. Food that's sent to the landfill is a tragedy, and not just because there are hundreds of millions of people around the globe who experience hunger every day. According to the World Health Organization, one in 10 humans experience hunger every day. 
But there's also the methane problem that's released, methane being a potent greenhouse gas when food waste in the landfill decomposes. Then there's the plastic cups, the straws, the cutlery, the disposables abound. And so today's show is split into two parts. First, I am bringing you what I like to call a mini interview. I just made it up, mini interview. My mini interview today is with Marcus Wasden. He is general manager of the data and management platform for food and labor operations. Marcus is here to tell us what's going on behind the scenes of our go-to restaurants. Does farm to table actually mean anything substantial? What do wait staff really think when we bring our own Tupperware for our leftovers? So those are the types of questions I'm asking, Marcus. Then after our ad break, I have some more tips and tricks and camaraderie and encouragement for you. Next time you decide, hey, I think I want some takeout or hey, I think I want to go to a restaurant tonight. More tips and tricks that Marcus and I just didn't get to in our interview. So we're going to start off with the mini interview. Marcus, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I have seen a definite shift in the way that we consumers eat. Back when I was a kid, going out to a restaurant or getting takeout was a treat. It was a special event. And these days, I see it becoming more of a it, of the norm. We go out because we didn't plan what we we're having for dinner. It's easier. It's stress-free. Do you see that shift in your life happening, or is it just me? No, you're absolutely correct. Like you said, when I was a kid, maybe we would go out to dinner on a weekend night, like a Friday night or a Saturday night, like you said, as a treat. Like primarily, I ate meals at home. I remember needing to be at home at certain times to, to have my meal with the family. It's definitely shifted. I don't think I was quite as busy as a kid as my kid is now, for example. I remember being able to be at home, and, and I know my kid has all kinds of stuff going on after school, which kind of gets in the way of sitting down to that meal. To that point, as a diner, I go to a restaurant, somebody cooks me a meal, and I leave satisfied, and I go on with my life. But I'm willing to bet that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I, as a diner, don't know about. I've seen the statistic that 11.4 tons of food waste is created at restaurants each year. What's going on behind the scenes at my favorite restaurants that I have no clue about? You are so right. Prior to joining the restaurant or the hospitality space, I I was a lot like everyone else that goes and dines at a restaurant. I knew that uh, I had uh, money in my pocket and I could exchange those dollars for a nice meal and I could sit down and have my meal and I could leave and be on about my day. The concept of exchanging dollars for food is pretty simple, but doing that at high scale repeatedly with high guest satisfaction, with high quality is very difficult. And any one of those things can break down and cause you to have a tough experience. There's a lot of food waste happening in the industry. And you mentioned the amount of weight of food, but it's also a $25 billion problem across restaurants altogether. And so this is one of those rare instances, at least that I've seen, where you know, usually there's a little bit of tension between being sustainable and doing the best thing for the planet and profitability, right? This is one of those things where profitability and doing the right thing for the planet kind of come together. And there's really no tension because doing one is great for the other. Fine dine, there's waste for sure, but they cook to order. You order, they go back and they prepare what you've asked them to order. 
in quick serve restaurants and in fast casual restaurants, what those restaurants are doing are trying to predict what's going to be sold and pre-cooking it so that when you walk in, you're in and out very quickly, which is what we've come to, to cherish. And that's a fine line if you think about it as a consumer. Do I cook enough stuff to have that? So Stephanie, when you walk in there, you make your order, you get your order back in a reasonable amount of time and you're out of there versus not having enough food. And if you overcook, you're creating waste. And if you undercook, you're upsetting guests, right? So it's this really delicate balance, especially in those markets. And those are the biggest markets that we serve because those are the ones you can really optimize. So in your history, as somebody who's worked in the restaurant business for many years, what are restaurants in general doing with this food that doesn't get sold? Are they throwing it in the dumpster behind the restaurant? Are they donating it somewhere, giving it to food pantries? What's going on with all this food? Yeah, I think all of the above. I think each one of the three things that you just mentioned is happening. I would say at the moment, the most common thing that's happening is it's actually getting thrown away, right? It's getting thrown into the dumpster. Um, but there's a lot of businesses that are out there trying to figure out how do I take this food and food for the food that can remain safe, right? From a foodborne illness perspective and things like that. that's the food that you can look at that could be donated. And there's a lot of companies out there that you know we do business with and that we partner with that have the ability for you to do that. It's almost like an Uber for food waste. You can you know, sign up for one of these companies and kind of dial in an app, like a restaurant manager can say, hey, I've got ways to pick up and somebody will come out and grab it and take that food so that it can be repurposed. So that's a growing industry. But I think by and large, at least at the moment, most of that food waste that's happening at the restaurants is actually getting thrown away. It's a shame. I'm looking forward to some of these companies really kicking off and restaurants being a little more responsible with that. Yeah, the food waste problem really does seem like a lose-lose situation, right? The restaurant is losing money and food waste is terrible for the planet, which we've covered many a time on this show before. As you're talking, I'm thinking about when I was in my 20s, I had a roommate. She worked at Starbucks. And at the end of her shifts, she would come home, especially if she had an evening shift, she would come home with armfuls full of food. And this food, the bagels, the croissants, the breakfast sandwiches, et cetera, all this stuff that didn't get sold. I'll be honest, that food no longer looked nearly as appealing as it did when it was in the Starbucks case with the lighting and all of that. It was wrapped in plastic and it looked not as appealing, I must say. And, and so that brings me to, I think, where I want to spend most of our time today, which is Number one, how can we find restaurants that are doing better? Because again, we as consumers want to support them. But also, what can we be doing at restaurants next time we order food or next time we go to sit down in a restaurant? So let's start with, how can we find restaurants who are caring about sustainability? I have no idea. And I dine out frequently. (laughs) It's a great question. We're all familiar with Michelin guides for the fine dining space. And they give Michelin stars. They have this whole thing called the Michelin Green Star now, right? So Michelin can go in and they can rate restaurants based on a green star, which is their sustainability practices. So that's another way if you're in the fine dining aspect, you can look it up and and see Michelin Green Stars. When you go into the restaurant, usually some of the clues that you'll see that that restaurants are sustainable in practice is how do they do their packaging? Is their packaging, is it compostable packaging or is it plastic packaging? Have they moved away from styrofoam like in the QSR space? You'll see a lot of restaurants that have moved away from styrofoam cups to keep drinks colder to other types of more 
compostable or um, recyclable packaging. So that's another way that's a clue for you as well. Most restaurants will also, if they're really serious about it, will talk about it in their advertising. They will talk about it in their signage when you walk into restaurants. And a lot of restaurants that are really serious about it, they, uh, the you know, folks will come out and, and speak with you about it and talk about what their sustainable practices are. Well, you mentioned their advertising efforts. If they're sustainable, they'll talk it up, let's say. I guess I'm just thinking about any product, right? A restaurant is selling a product, which is their menu items. There's a lot of greenwashing going on in stores at the mall. They talk up their eco-friendliness, so we buy their stuff. Is the same thing going on at restaurants? Is there greenwashing? So when they say it's farm to table or sustainably sourced or inserts eco-friendly word or eco-friendly verbiage there, does that actually mean anything in restaurants? That's a good question. Farm to table, you mentioned the most commonly used one, right? Which is supposed to imply that they're sourcing from locally sourced farms and and things of that nature. It doesn't always mean that. So yes, just like any other industry, that does happen. If they're actually, if they go a step further and not just say farm to table, but they talk specifically about the farms that they use, right? And they put that either on their digital menu or what have you. That's a little better sign that they're actually using someone and they're putting their money where their mouth is. There's been several restaurants. I live in the Atlanta area where I go to, where they'll actually show on the menu, we get our eggs from so-and-so farm. We get our vegetables from this farm or that farm. And that is something that will tell you that, okay, and if I look that farm up and it actually exists and it looks like it's local and they didn't have to truck it from across the country or what have you, like that's usually an indicator that, okay, maybe they're a little more serious than just putting something like farm to table on their menu. The other thing too, is that you look for seasonable menus also. So if you live in the Northeast and there's ice on the ground and they're, they're serving some vegetable or fruit that's out of season, that didn't come from anywhere near where you are, right? So it's having to come from somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else in the world that was able to grow that fruit at that point in time or that vegetable at that point in time. So those are other clues too. If you go into restaurants that are really having their menu and changing their menu seasonally with what's available locally, that's a, a better indication that they're actually putting their money where their mouth is. Mm, Thank you for that tip. That's a good one. If a restaurant is changing their menu as the seasons change, that is a really great sign. It is. And I would say not just changing their menu as the season change, but changing their menu as the season change for things that can be sourced locally. Yes, because a tenant of sustainable living, of course, is to eat local, eat what's in season for your locale. And if we're talking about being more eco-friendly when we go to restaurants, let's take that logic that we're doing in our own homes and our own kitchens and finding restaurants who are doing the same. We've all heard the bring your own takeout container, refuse single use items like straws. Those to me, those suggestions are overplayed. They're stale. They're really not doing all that much in terms of sustainability, but let's start there. What do restaurant workers really think when a consumer comes in with their own takeout container? I'm just curious. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. I think the people that are really conscious about sustainability applaud that. I think the people that, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't really care about that kind of stuff. And the people don't care about that kind of stuff, it's potentially even annoying to them. So it's an interesting thing that I, I think it varies. I think the mileage varies based on who you're talking with. 
But from a restaurant worker's perspective, one of the things, if you really think about it, if people bring in their own containers and their own utensils and their own things like that, that there's actual, if you thought about it as a restaurant owner or manager, A, they are trying to do their part to be sustainable and minimize their footprint. But B, they're also actually helping you with the cost of your restaurants because you're not doling out your plastic wares or your biodegradable aspects and things like that. So it's actually potentially helpful to those restaurants. Yeah, I'm wondering, is somebody going to spit in my food if I bring my glass Pyrex? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I look the rest. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one. I don't know that causes that to ramp up or ramp down. I think it's all situational. Okay. Do you have any other tips for when we're in restaurants to practice our eco-friendly values? Yeah, one of the things would be if you're dining with your family, right? Like one of the things that I, you know we try to do is we try to make sure that we are optimizing what we order, right? So in other words, if you go to a restaurant that serves bread or serves something else, hey, don't let them continue to come and keep putting stuff on the table if you're finished, right? So you can think of lots of restaurants that would bring some sort of dip and chips and things like that. A lot of times they just continue to fill that thing up right? Like over and over again. If you're done, tell them you're done, right? Tell them you don't need any more. And that way, that next portion, because once it hits the table, it has to go in the trash or in the compost or it has to be dealt with as waste. It's not something that can be served again. So that would be a thing I want. So bread, chips, things like that. Make sure that you're, you're saying no when you're full. The other thing is I found that a lot of restaurants that we go to, the portions are crazy big, right? And they're way bigger than anything that I should ever try to eat on my own. And so what we try to do is we try to actually figure out meals that we like to share together and potentially even share that. So you, you get one entree and you split the entree. Um, and that way you can uh, put less in the uh, in the waste kind of ecosystem as well. And then the last thing would be, you know, take it home and eat it again. So you're not, you know, whatever, eat leftovers. We're, we're big leftover fans here. And uh, so those are a few things that I would think of. But the one that a lot of people don't really think about is that whole chips and bread aspect, like stop it when you're done. I have a couple of things to say there because I recently went out to eat with my father. If you don't plan on eating bread, so the so the waiter came over and said, would you like some bread? And my father is of the mindset that it's free. Let's just take it. But I'm of the mindset that if neither of us are going to eat bread, then why would we even bring it to the table? So if if they ask and the answer is no, I'm not going to consume it, just just say no, like even though it's free. And I feel like for some people, that mindset shift, like say no to something that they're giving us for free, that's really difficult, but it's common sense, I think. It should be common sense, but to your point, there's a big mind shift uh, that, that has to go on. And it's hard because a lot of these restaurants are trained just to bring them. You sit down and it hits the table, right? And if they're really on top of their game and they're providing high level of service, it's almost at the table by the time you sit down. And so you don't even have the opportunity to to say no. But, you know, uh, to your point, like if you're not going to eat it and your father's not going to eat it, why have it on the table and why waste it? And you also mentioned their bring home food. Restaurants are notorious for their portion sizes, their large portion sizes. Either A, eat the whole thing or B, bring it home. I know for me, I am somebody who almost never finishes my whole meal when I go out to dinner. And so when I'm choosing what to order, I always ask myself, what will reheat well? What will I be able to eat tomorrow for lunch? And so asking those very simple questions are a powerful way to make sure that the food that you're ordering, the food that you're paying for, 
all of it gets consumed. I would also say too, you know, the sustainability tenets that we follow at home also apply to restaurants. So vegetarian, plant-based foods have lower carbon footprints than the meat items. That said, many of us, when we go out to dinner, we want to treat ourselves by getting maybe the meat or especially the seafood. I would say that if I'm ordering seafood at a restaurant, I can ask about how it was sourced. Is this sustainably sourced or not? Are waiters and waitresses at the more upscale restaurants generally trained in being able to answer that question? Because when I ask that question, I always wonder if I'm just getting the, oh, yes, of course, answer so that I order it and they can move on with their lives. It's a great question. I think that's another case-by-case basis. I think there are some restaurants that really take it seriously. And a clue that they're taking it seriously is that instead of just saying, oh, absolutely, it's sourced and they move on about their lives, is that they actually stop and take a moment to tell you exactly where it was sourced and why they did it that way. And so the restaurants that are really serious about it will teach their wait staff. And they'll tell their wait staff, for example, when they're explaining to their wait staff when there's a special. Here's what the special is. This is what it consists of. This is why we think people like it. And by the way, if they're serious about the sustainability aspects of things. They'll tell that wait staff exactly where that stuff was sourced. But there's also some common sense stuff that we can do as diners as well. So think about Las Vegas. There is no seafood anywhere near Las Vegas. Right? There's a lot of seafood served, really nice, really high-end seafood served in Las Vegas, for example. And so you just need to know as a consumer that, hey, maybe I really do want that lobster tail. I want whatever else because I want to treat myself and I'm in Vegas and it's the thing to do when you're in Vegas is treat yourself. And so maybe they did everything they could to minimize the footprint. But that lobster had to get from probably the West Coast to Vegas somehow, some way. And it probably wasn't with a small footprint. Well, the last question I have for you, Marcus, is about suggesting changes in policy. So as a consumer, let's say I notice that a restaurant is doing something completely unsustainable, like perhaps putting, let's just use this example. It's so overplayed, but let's just use it. Perhaps I go to a restaurant and they're putting plastic straws in my drink instead of asking whether I want one. That's again, overplayed. Or uh, here's another big one. When I go with my kids, they automatically bring my children water in plastic cups with plastic covers and plastic straws, even though they're perfectly old enough and able to use a glass. That's a great example that just popped into my mind. Let's say that I was a vocal consumer and wanted to gently and politely suggest, perhaps you don't do this going forward. (laughs) Who should I talk to? How should I do it? Would my suggestions even be heard? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a great question. If you're in a restaurant that is a chain of restaurants, but it's a brand that has multiple locations, having that conversation with someone at the restaurant, while they may be sympathetic to what you're asking for, I don't know that those people really have a lot of power to change because a lot of that stuff is dictated from higher up in the franchise itself. So if you're in a chain, if you're a restaurant that has multiple locations like that, you're probably going to be better off you writing either an email or something like that into the corporate organization of the restaurant. And those restaurants have people that that email will be read. It will be responded to. Um, It is a very common practice inside of restaurant organizations that 
any customer feedback that we get is absolutely read and action. Okay, now, will they do exactly what you want them to do? Maybe not, right? But they will respond to you and tell you why they're going to do it or tell you why they won't, right? But you'll at least get a response. If it's a kind of independent restaurant where you see that the person that's managing the restaurant is the owner, have the conversation directly with the owner. Feel free to do that because that, in that situation, that person actually has the ability to make a change at that restaurant. And then last but not least, I would say that usually every state has some sort of restaurant association. So in Georgia, it's called the Georgia Restaurant Association. And that's another route. If you're not getting the response that you're looking for from either the restaurant kind of corporate entity, you could, most of these restaurants are members of the Georgia Restaurant Association, at least in Georgia, and every other state has their own thing. There's another route for you to go is to call your local state restaurant association. You can pretty quickly Google that for your state and it'll tell you it is. It'll give you the contact information. You can send some information there as well. Great tips, Marcus. Thank you. I just am thinking about bringing this around to the beginning of our conversation where eating out is now the norm instead of a treat. Maybe step one for all of us is to do all the tips and tricks that we talked about today in our conversation, but also the foundation of all those tips and tricks is to make eating out a treat again. Go less. And I'm sorry for all the restaurateurs listening, but perhaps that's step one. Thank you so much, Marcus. I enjoyed speaking with you. I enjoyed speaking with you too, Stephanie. Listeners, we're going to take our quick ad break. And then when we return, I have six deeper thoughts. So we're going to take what Marcus and I discussed and we're going to add a layer onto it. I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. 
And we're back. Before the break, I spoke with Marcus Wasden all about what's going on behind the scenes at our favorite go-to restaurants. And before we say goodbye, I really, you know, I recorded the interview and I thought to myself, I don't know that we nailed it. I don't know that I gave the actionable content that I was hoping to impart on all of you. So I have six additional thoughts (laughs) that we're going to go into right now. And the first one, of course, so if you are looking to be more intentional with your dining out, maybe dining out less, the first thought I have for you, of course, is to avoid those quick serve and fast food restaurants. Marcus touched on this really well in our interview. There's nothing eco-friendly about these types of restaurants. From the pre-cooked food items that have nowhere to go except very likely the trash can at closing time, to the paper-lined cups that are by the soda station and the disposable cutlery, there's really just nothing environmentally friendly going on at these places. And so if you can, avoid them. Avoid them like the plague. (laughs) And if you're somebody who really depends on these fast food or quick serve restaurants. So a quick serve would be like a Chipotle, let's say. You you depend on these in your busy daily lives. Maybe you just go less. That would be step one. Another thought for you is with regard to takeout. However much you're ordering takeout, order takeout less. Use it sparingly. Sparingly means different things to different people. When I was a child, Friday night was pizza night. Not every week, but Most weeks, I would say. So we had takeout once a week. (laughs) These days, that number is considerably higher. If you recall the numbers that I threw out at the beginning of our episode, up to six times a week, people are eating out. So if you're a six time a week person, if you're ordering takeout four, five, six times a week, maybe you just cut that down by one. So maybe three times a week, four, five. I'll just say here too, was it maybe two years ago? I mentioned it on the podcast, but my husband and I, we were relying on takeout an awful lot. And we noticed quite quickly that we were blowing through our budget (laughs) because takeout's not cheap. It's not cheap. And we also were kind of like getting fluffy. I don't want to say overweight because that's not it, but our bodies were not in tip-top shape. So I thought to myself, let's just cut back on the eating out, the extra calories. If I'm cooking a home-cooked meal, it's not going to be as expensive for sure, and it's not going to be as calorie-dense. And so we just cut back, and that took a lot of planning on my part. It took a lot of meal planning. It took a lot of meal prepping on the weekends. And I do meal prep every single weekend. I plan the meals for the week. And for me, preparation is key. Now it's second nature. Now meal planning and prepping is not hard. It's not stressful. It's just what I do. It's just it's just a part of my life. But the transition from relying on the takeout and moving towards home-cooked meals was a big and hard adjustment. But if you're in the midst of that transition or you're thinking about making that transition, just know that the more you meal plan and prep, the easier it gets. I'll link to some episodes in the show notes we've discussed meal planning and prepping before. But another tip for you is to just remember, right, slow down your food. Our lives may be go, 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 but even still, we can still slow down our food. Make sandwiches again. Yes, it takes more work, but it's free 
And by and large, it's much healthier. A bit of sacrifice is always necessary when we're living with intention. And that's because living intentionally demands a bone-deep understanding that our actions affect others. So take the five minutes and make yourself a sandwich before leaving the house. And while you're at it, fill up your reusable water bottle. Like five minutes, that's a sacrifice, absolutely, but you can do it. You can sacrifice five minutes of your day to make yourself a sandwich. Another thought here. It piggybacks off of something Marcus mentioned. It is to look for a certification. Marcus did mention the Michelin Green Star, and I would definitely suggest frequenting those restaurants for your fancy dinners out. You could just go to the Michelin website, link to it in the show notes, and peruse. There are an awful lot of Michelin Green Star restaurants. There's also the Certified B certification, right? There's not many restaurants at the moment that are certified B, but keep a lookout. I went to the certified B website. I typed in restaurant and I went through the list. Boloco, that's a burrito chain near me. It's a quick serve restaurant. And normally I would suggest you stay away from the quick serves, but it's certified B. So in this case, I'm making an exception to my rule. If it's between Chipotle and Boloco, I'm happy to support Boloco, the certified B. Some other ones that are certified B just off the list, Grand Central Bakery in the Pacific Northwest, Illy Cafe all over the world, Tarani in the Bay Area. Those are just a couple that popped into my feed and I thought was interesting. But look for a certification. Certifications mean something, especially the certified B. Two more tips for you. The penultimate tip is when you go to those fine dining restaurants, or even if you're ordering takeout and you don't care about being a little nonconformist, ask for your food without garnishes. And also, of course, ask for your water without a bottle. The water without a bottle, it's self-explanatory. Tap water all the way, baby. (laughs) But garnishes may be something you haven't thought about before. In my research for this episode, I came across this case study. One bar group. So a group of bars stopped adding the passion fruit garnish to its signature martini. This was a small change, right? Just no garnish. Big impact, though, because the bar group saved more than half a million passion fruits per year and reduced the group's carbon footprint by more than 100 metric tons of CO2, which, by the way, is the average family of four's annual carbon footprint here in America. So ask for no garnishes. Do you need the passion fruit on your martini? Do you need the parsley or the microgreens on top of your, I don't know, your veggie burger? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you don't, ask for no garnishes. And then my final tip for you today attempts to address the bigger picture. If you want your kids to retain this vital self-sufficient skill of knowing how to cook for themselves and perhaps their future families, you've got to teach them it. Cook with your kids. It's on us parents to teach them how to cook. (laughs) If your children are young, maybe you wait a few years. When my kids were young, cooking with them was a complete disaster. Oh my goodness. Heck no. But if your children are older, just keep your expectations low. Treat it as though you know, it's quality time. You're spending time together and perhaps they're learning something at the same time. So cook with your kids, teach them how to cook so that when they're adults, they're not relying on the fast food and the quick serve restaurants to get their sustenance. My final word for you today is that eating out less 
it's better for you. It's better for your health. It's better for your wallet. And it's better for the planet. Full stop. So I'm not saying don't ever go to a restaurant again, because heck, I love restaurants. Absolutely. Just make eating out a treat again. Make eating out a treat again. So that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 412. I'll see you Thursday. As always, reach out if you need me and take care.